Chase Kitty this week on the High Motor Podcast, the official podcast of your Texas Longhorns. I didn't, I honestly didn't think it was going to happen this year. I really didn't. I found, I mean, when Chris Del Conte released that statement, I don't know, what was that, two or three weeks ago with, with the same old bullshit that ADs always say, he is our head coach right now, we have confidence out of all that. I don't think he specifically said, and I think this was misconstrued by a lot of people. I don't think, I'll have to go back and actually look at the statement, but I don't think Chris Del Conte said at any point Tom Herman is our head coach for 2021. I think he just said Tom Herman is our head coach right now, then all the confidence bullshit. But even with that, I didn't put any faith into that because those statements don't mean anything, and there's no value in those statements. But I was still surprised. Like, I had the same feeling I did when Auburn fired Malzahn. I think both needed to be gone. Both had big-ass buyouts. There's a lot of comparison there of underachieving programs not living up up to their potential. It was so obvious that they weren't the right fit, but... Until that hits the notifications or until you're scrolling through Twitter and it pops up, were you as surprised about Herman as I was? Uh, yeah, because I thought he had one more year. I, and you're you're more into the buyout stuff than me. Uh, I just felt like he hadn't reached the end of his currency yet. I, I felt like there was still blood left in the stone. And so, yeah, I, I was a little surprised to that end because... It just didn't feel like he had worn out his welcome yet in Austin. And and I'd be curious to hear from people who are maybe closer to the program or, or really ardent fans or whatever. Did it feel like emotionally you guys were done with Tom Herman? Or is this just an opportunistic move? Because uh, it... It did feel a little odd to me. Yeah, I was kind of maybe, surprised. Maybe the piece of that emotional piece of it is... Like, did we need to see a half-empty stadium when they're down by X number of points versus whatever team at home in November? Like, did we need to actually see that to really feel that this era was ending? That's what we usually see when there are coaching changes. Like, half-empty stadiums, you're down by 20 in the third quarter, whatever, and we can physically see something. And this year, we just didn't have that with the weird schedule and the cancellations, even with a couple of nice games at the end of the year, bowl game, all that stuff, but... Because we didn't see like that half-empty stadium because this was such a bizarre year, maybe that's why we didn't feel like it was going to happen this year? I don't know. They they were in the Big 12 title hunt until late in the season. Uh, they played a really competitive game with Oklahoma this year. It feels to me like, and, and I could be totally off, it feels to me like Texas envisions themselves as a foil to Oklahoma. In the last four or five years, Lincoln Riley has been in Norman, and Texas just hasn't quite had that, even though Tom Herman was supposed to be that. And so it feels like they're searching for that thing that lets them level up to truly be on Oklahoma's level. I just don't think they are. I, I, I And I'm, I'm kind of not convinced at all that, that Sarkeesian is, is that guy. So that's... I want to take your temperature on that part is how do you feel about the Sarkeesian part of this? 
I liked, and I was kind of talking about this before I hopped on. I I just did my uh, grading higher for that one. I actually gave it an A minus because I like the shot. I think there's a very good chance this could end up being like a D or an F grade, but I like the shot that they took because especially this year, and I'm not sure if this is COVID related, but there aren't that many high level potential candidates out there. Like we can talk about Luke Fickle. Like that's one thing I want to know. Like who they called? Like was it a circumstance where they were going to hold on to Tom Herman if they didn't get Steve Sarkeesian, or if they didn't get somebody else? Like I want to know if they quietly inquired about Matt Campbell. Like did they call Luke Fickle's agent? Did they call Kyle Whittingham's agent? I, I don't know if any of those guys are attainable. But w- like was this their home run swing here? Like is Steve Sarkeesian really the best they could do? It. I'm not saying like really. Steve Sarkeesian, this is the best you can do. I'm actually asking, like, is Steve Sarkeesian the best, most attainable, realistic candidate for Texas to be better than they were under Herman? And I like, I think it is, the, to answer my own question, I think it is the home run swing here. There's a very good chance of you whiffing, but I like them taking the shot. Going back to what you said about Oklahoma, I've wondered for the last few years, because they've played Oklahoma pretty well. They've played up against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma has generally played down in that game. I'm wondering if those close games have distorted Texas's view of how close they are to Oklahoma, because Texas is nowhere near Oklahoma. Yes, on the field the last, God, what, the last five or six years, they've been right there with Oklahoma. They've looked like, if Oklahoma is the best team in the conference, let's just say, even though they might not have been the last five years, Texas looks like a 1A or a 2 when they go on that field and play them, but the fact is that they're not that. They're not even close to being that. If, if Oklahoma has been 1 over the last five years, Texas is 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and I'm wondering if them being close on the field against Texas has distorted their expectations of reality, and instead of looking... I, I don't know if they're looking in the mirror here and saying, we just need to get over that hump. Tom Herman is not the guy. Steve Sarkeesian is going to be that guy. And if that's what they're doing, good for them because I don't know who you go out and hire. We haven't played this game on the pod this year. We played it a lot last year. Who would you go hire? If you want to talk about whatever coach being on the hot seat, okay, great. You And then you also have, the, have to have the conversation of who you're going to hire. And if it's not Tom Herman and Steve Sarkeesian stays put, like who is your guy? If it's not Matt Campbell, if it's not Luke Fickle, if it's not Kyle Whittingham, if it's not whoever, if you don't want to, I don't want to say stoop down, but if you don't want to go down to Jamie Chadwell, Will Healy, a coach like that, who is the guy that you feel that much better about? And I don't know, like, if Steve Sarkeesian is going to be going to produce the results that Tom Herman did over the last few years. I don't know if Texas is going to go like 10 and 2, maybe win, let's say, like 28, 29, 30 games over the next three years. But I do at least feel good about their chances of getting over the hump. With Tom Herman, it really feels like they hit their ceiling, and they weren't going to go anywhere beyond that. The in-state recruiting suggests that talent was or that talent was not coming to Texas like it did back when they were really good under Mac Brown. And I'm fine with the home run shot here. Why do you not like it as much as I do? I, I, it feels to me like a lateral move at best, and maybe a step back. It feels to me like the ceiling is lower with Sark. We've we've seen. I mean, I don't think he did all that great at USC, and this is a program, I think, that has a lot more pressure than USC. Uh, I mean, we're not talking about USC 2007 here. We're talking about USC recently. He was 13, 14, he was there, yeah. Yeah, they they haven't been, you know, the the centerpiece of the Pac-12 
like they were maybe 15 years ago and there was more pressure with that job to win and win at a big level. We all know the unrealistic expectations about, you know, the difference between what you are and what you think you are that are in Austin and Ann Arbor and a couple other places. We have talked about them ad nauseum on this podcast, so we don't really have to rehash that. It just feels to me like this is a move for the sake of making a move, and I don't necessarily share uh, the optimism that I, I've seen in some from some other people. But I, I did have a, a Texas fan hit me up on Twitter today when we, when I was talking about it. Said, "Hey, you know, it, maybe it's not necessarily fair to compare Sarkeesian to what he was at USC. Uh, he's been with Saban now for a couple years, so maybe he's picked some stuff up and he's he's become a better head coaching candidate. And I think that's a fair point." Uh, may, maybe he is a better candidate. And, and so to your point, maybe taking a shot with him and, and thinking that he could do something in Austin uh, as the new sort of Sarkeesian 2.0 now that he's grown from the Saban tree and, and drank of the magical Saban waters. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. I, I think I'm a little more skeptical. Like I said, this feels more like we need to make a move than anything else to me, uh, but I, I'm not convinced he's the right guy. But if he does well, then, you know, it, it's it's going to be one of those things where the, the res, you play the results and not necessarily anything else. And we don't know. Like that Texas fan, what they said to you, we don't know if he's in a better spot. I mean, nobody knows that answer. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian might know how he is, you know, physically and mental health-wise, that he's in a better spot than he was after the whole USC debacle. Maybe Nick Saban has seen him grow. Maybe Chris Del Conte... Another Texas stakeholders know that he is a better person, a better coach with better experience, having worked under Saban for the last, what, three or four years. But ultimately, not one single person on the planet knows that this is going to work. I think that makes people uncomfortable because I don't love doing coaching grades, but I also like kind of like putting putting what I think down on a piece of paper so that I can go back and think. I mean, you listen to Ryan Rosillo all the time. He, he'll talk about... How do you feel like if it's fourth and one and you can't kick the field goal or go for it before this decision is made? How do you feel about it? That way, after the decision, you can't go back and say, well, I don't know. I mean, it didn't work. So they probably should have kicked the field goal. Oh, they got it, but there was a fumble. How do you feel right now about the situation? That's why I think coaching grades are important. Even though we don't have a damn clue how this is going to work out, we we still I, I still think it's important to say, I think that this is a home run swing for them. And that's why I'm totally fine with it. I mean, most of my A minus grade is saying, good for you, Tech. I mean, a lot of it, even though I don't know if this is totally fair for the grading part, is Texas essentially fired their coach, went and got the best assistant in college football who had just signed a new extension like two or three weeks ago that was making $2.5 million. They went out and quietly did that without anybody noticing. I mean,. When I got the alert that Tom Herman was being fired, I, I went on Twitter to see who was reporting it, and the first tweet was from Chip Patterson saying that Steve Sarkeesian is going there. I, I had to go back and look at the timestamps to see what actually came first, but, I mean, this is probably, what, like a top 10, top 12, top 15-ish job? I mean, we never see this across college football where there's complete silence on a coaching search. That is so rare, let alone at a top 10 or a top 12 program how Texas was able to pull this off to scrap together, I think it was $25 million for Herman's buyout and the staff buyout, and to keep that circle so tight. There was a little bit of questions. I know David Pollock reported that maybe he had rejected the offer. I don't know if he was just blowing smoke or if there was actual confusion or if Sark had already accepted it. So there's a little bit of confusion there, but generally 
it seems like Texas was able to get together with a small group of people and say, A, can we get $25 million? B, if we can get $25 million, who do we want to go after? Oh, it's Sark. Okay, let's go get Sark. And they signed him on all without anybody noticing. That is unbelievable. For, it was really I mean, for impressive. A, yeah. For a, yeah, for a program and athletic department that everybody shits on all the time, that was extremely impressive for them to go and do that. I can't remember another high-level search like that that has gone in and out so quickly in a matter of minutes, and they've landed their guy. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, like I've mentioned a lot of times, how Rutgers knew what they wanted when they wanted to go to the Big Ten. They just went for it. Bravo to Texas for just knowing who they wanted. I don't mean I assume that Sark was number one on their list because I don't know who else it could have possibly been that you'd feel that much better about than Tom Herman. But I don't I think it's uncomfortable for us to say we don't know how something's gonna happen. We don't know how this is gonna work out, but I love the fact that they took their shot and they did this without anybody noticing. That was awesome. Uh, I, I share all of your sentiment. It was really impressive. It is so I mean, it's such a hyper reported media market in the 21st century. So to do all of that uh, with absolutely no noise at all is really, really well Well, done. I mean, look what happened to Auburn. We don't know. Judging from like Auburn's statements after they hired Brian Harson, it seems like Harson was really at the top of their list and they were just conducting a search. But you, I mean, I think it was maybe two weeks or so. You have reports of Billy Napier rejecting them and then Bill Clark rejecting them. But it turns out Bill Clark just interviewed and they weren't sure if there was an actual offer. All this stuff comes out. And I, I'm of the belief that that's harmful to your program. You have Auburn players tweeting the circus emoji and probably donors that are pissed off who aren't those high-level seven-figure donors that are involved in this. And even though Auburn might have wanted Brian Harson all the time, that got out and it lasted two weeks of them being a circus, whereas Texas pulled this off without anybody noticing. That was absolutely incredible. Anything else on this before we talk some playoff stuff here? Playoffs, let's do it. What is your biggest takeaway from Friday night? Because I think that we're kind of on the same page with let's just dial back the hot takes and let's enjoy what we saw on Friday night. But what is your biggest takeaway, either on or off the field, from what happened on Friday night? I thought the Alabama-Notre Dame game went pretty much exactly like I thought it was going to go. So I don't really have any takeaways from that other than, you know, wow, Alabama's really good. (laughs) Uh, That three-headed offensive you know, just monster that they have. I was trying to think of a less cliche word than monster, but whatever. They smashed them in the first half and then kind of just were like, all right, the game's over. I mean, yeah. it, we're yeah. we're not like taking, I, I don't want to say they took their foot off the gas, but it was obvious to everyone that that game was over. Uh, we still got the cover, which I was, felt pretty good about going into that Clemson game. Yeah, but you shit your pants a little bit there at the end. You did not think that was coming. Oh, I it was the back door was open the whole second half. I I felt great about it. Yeah. Hmm. When when Brian Kelly what, what they lined up to punt on like fourth and one. Yeah. And then they call the timeout and they come back and they're going for it. As soon as they converted that fourth down, I knew I had it. But Dabo did punt when they were down 21. Yeah, so the Clemson game on the other hand which I felt much more strongly about. Now, I, I got into a bit of a back and forth with, with my with my father over Christmas about Alabama versus Clemson for the national championship, and I was saying Alabama, and he was saying Clemson. Uh, I did think that Clemson was going to take care of business here, and they did not, <laughs> as as I think most people are aware by now. And, and I think one thing that you and I are in pretty lockstep agreement on is 
hey, Clemson got their ass kicked, and that's kind of it. Like you don't you don't need a lot of further analysis. We don't have to dive into like missing assistant coaches and coordinators and and Trevor Lawrence and motivation on Ohio. Maybe you can talk a little bit about motivation on Ohio State's part and the revenge game and the the fucking Dabo comments and whatever else. But like that's all kind of secondary. Clemson's defense played like ass. <laughs> Justin Fields was awesome. Sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes like, why it's... do we need a reason? Like they just got yeah. Smoked. They smoked. Why do, we, why do we need some reason to explain this? It, it's it doesn't have to be some like eighteen step explanation. The gray team was really good. The orange team wasn't. That's kind of it. I I'm fine with saying like did Tony Elliott's absence hurt Clemson's offense? I mean sure. we can talk about him and Steve Sarkeesian as like one in one a the best play callers in college football on either side of the ball. Yeah, I'm. it sure looked like it, it hurt their offense a little bit. Do I care? No. Like, did Ohio State, this was mentioned just a fucking ton, which I I don't know if people are just having a tough year. I guess it was technically the new year, and they just want to say anything. But did Ohio State's freshness help them win? Who the fuck knows? But I don't care if it did. Why are we even talking about this? I, I get wanting to knock the six-game thing, but... I think any player or, or any coach will tell you, once you actually get to the game, if you're pointing to their like alleged freshness as to why they beat the snot out of Clemson by, I don't even recall how many touchdowns at this point. Like At that point, I, I don't think the Clemson players want to hear you say that. At, at, I, just Ohio State beat them. They beat them good. And, and I mean, if you're getting down to freshness, that's lame. It, like I said, I think Clemson players would tell you that was lame. They got well, beat. What, hap- what happens if Clemson, I re- quote tweeted Danny Cannell because he had mentioned this, and I, my point is, okay, what happens if Clemson wins that game? How many people are blaming Kevin Warren in the Big Ten because Ohio State wasn't able to get in a full schedule? And they come into this game with only six games under their belt, and they were fresh, but they weren't experienced enough. It feels like no matter what happens. I think that would be less. We're going we're gonna to make some excuse for why. Why do we? Why do we need a reason? Why can't we just say this is sports? Like you and I were talking about before we hopped on here, like when a team loses a baseball game, teams lose baseball games all the fucking time. Yes, we can go back and look at the film. This slider was left up, or in this case, Clemson's defensive backs just decided not to play football last night. And we can look at the film all we want. But why can't we also just leave sports on the field and say they just got smoked? As somebody who doesn't love Davo, it was awesome. I'm just going to enjoy that part of it. I don't need to go back and watch the film and figure out why it happened. They just got their ass kicked. Yeah, I mean, I, you, were, you mentioned the Tony Elliott references. Clemson's offense wasn't the problem last night. They, they certainly didn't play all that great, and they, they scored. They could certainly have scored more points. But the offense wasn't why they lost. They, they, they lost because their defense, Brett Venable's unit, could not stop anything. And Ohio, uh, Justin Fields got whatever he wanted. Despite the fact that it looked like he half of his internal organs weren't working, I mean, it, he he threw it over the top more than once, and he he couldn't even really throw correctly. He's torquing his whole body to get enough force behind his throw to get it downfield, and he's still just romping on Clemson's secondary. So the defense was why they lost. I saw an interesting. Uh, I, maybe this falls into the category of why do we have to overexplain why something happened? I don't know. Uh, I saw an interesting take 
about maybe Clemson's lost some of its ability to steal signs in these last couple semifinal games because their defense has just gotten worked. I don't know about that. I think it's just the product of they played against two really potent offenses. Uh, certainly we saw what Ohio State's offense is capable of when everything goes right for them. And then, I mean, if you want to talk about LSU last year, I mean, come on. Right. I, I just feel like, like all credit to Ohio State, if we can kind of pivot here just a, just a minor bit, all credit to Ohio State. Interested, uh, very, very excited to watch them play against Alabama in the title game. Ohio State fans deserve to take a victory lap here, but they, they didn't look like this at any point all season. I watched, I, I think I missed one game of theirs. I think I missed, uh, it was an early one, but I, I watched them a ton this year. They did not look like this. They won a couple games by big margins, but it was never this crisp. It was never this effortless. It was rarely this explosive. Fields has not looked good for a few weeks now. I know he's he's dealing with some stuff. I know the roster wasn't at 100%. I know it wasn't even at 100% for this game, but it was certainly a lot closer. This is by far the best they have looked. So I, I think, you know, we've talked a lot of this episode about playing the result. I think a lot of people are going to go, see? But that's not really what they've been this season, right? It seems like, I mean, there are two extremes. It's all of us mocking Dabble for ranking Ohio State. 11th like which we should I, I Boy, actually that was get, the Twitter overkill joke of the right. week last night huh <laughs> and I get like Dabble's reasoning kind of made sense like if if he wants to rank Ohio State 11th because of the number of games but that's not what the purpose of the poll is you're supposed to rank the teams how good you think they are so he's just not even following the rules of the poll but like I understand if he just wants to play a numbers game fine whatever but let's not go to that extreme. Nobody thought that Ohio State was the 11th best team in college football. I mean, nobody thought that. Even you were riding Cincinnati over them all year, but at no point in the season did you ever say Ohio State was the 11th best team in college football, did you? Exactly. So they're somewhere in between here. They're somewhere in between. Is Ohio State the second best team in college football? Well, they sure as shit played like it last night. But going back to your point, we don't, we don't know... We didn't see this coming. Nobody saw this coming, especially from Justin Fields. I was uh, doing an article earlier today ranking all of the QB matchups in the national championship uh, in the BCS and playoff era. So the last 23 years, starting in 98. And I was trying to figure out where Mac Jones and Justin Fields were to fit into this equation. I ultimately uh, ranked them sixth. I can't remember all the ones ahead of them. But, I mean, talking about, I think I led the article talking about in the Northwestern game, Justin Fields looked horrible. He was like 12 of 27 for 117 yards. He had no rushing touchdowns, no passing touchdowns. They won touchdowns. that game because of Sermon, yeah. Exactly. So at that point, I mean, that game I think was 13 days ago, 13 days until the Sugar Bowl, and we're talking about Justin Fields being a liability to this team and how he could pop, not that they should replace him or bench him, but how he could be the reason why Ohio State loses this game and now he is the sole reason, yes, I get Trey Sermon had an awesome game, but still, Justin Fields won that game for them last night. Now we're all of a sudden, 13 days after, talking about him being a liability and why he could potentially cost Ohio State a shot at Alabama into Justin Fields is the reason they won that game. Justin Fields is the reason that they can beat Alabama. How quickly we can go from 0 to 60 is also just a reflection of football. Shit happens. We knew that Justin Fields was really good. We knew that the Northwestern game was not the Justin Fields that we have seen. The interceptions were a problem. I think he had five in his last three games. Those were legitimately a problem. He had accuracy problems. But he was not that type of player 
And with all due respect to Justin Fields, he's not the player that did that last night. Like he's that was maybe a career game for him in college. We'll see what happens in the NFL. But there's somewhere in between, in between, tilting more toward what he did last night as opposed to the Northwestern game. But that goes back to what we were just talking about. That's just sports. Shit like that happens. Nick Foles just goes on a Super Bowl run, or Aaron Rodgers will shit the bed. That's just sports. And I don't know why we need to sit here and say, like, see, Ohio State, nobody knew Ohio State was capable of doing this. Not one single person. Let's let's talk about one quick thing before we uh before we kind of wrap the semifinals. I want to talk for a second about Notre Dame. I don't. How should Notre Dame feel right now? Because there's been a lot of wringing of the hands about like, well, Notre Dame gets to these spots and they get blown out. Uh, I, I feel a couple of different ways about it. Number one, you should never apologize for making the playoff. Number two, a lot of teams get blown out by Alabama. A lot of teams get blown out by Clemson. Uh, and a lot of the questions, if you go back and watch the, the Brian Kelly press conference after that game, a lot of the questions were kind of like, what's what's stopping Notre Dame from getting to that next level? And obviously they're not Alabama, but nobody's Alabama. Obviously they're not Clemson, but nobody's Clemson. So I kind of feel like they're there. I mean, I know that's probably not a popular opinion, but this is probably the ceiling or very close to the ceiling for Notre Dame football, right? And yet the narrative is, well, you know, they kind of suck. <laughs> like, well, do they? I mean, so that's, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm wondering how we should talk about Notre Dame, even though these, these things keep happening to them, the, these big losses keep piling up. And it's, it's, it reminds me a little bit of, this is a weird sports comp, but I think it works. It reminds me a little bit of the Jordan LeBron thing where LeBron gets knocked. He's been to the finals several times more than Jordan at this point. But he gets knocked because he got there and lost. And it's almost like it's it would be better if LeBron lost in like the Eastern Conference semifinals because he wouldn't have the finals losses on his record. And Notre Dame gets blasted by Alabama and then has to take shit for it. It's almost like it, it would be better if they played in like a lower tier bowl and nobody thought about them and, and then they beat the crap out of like a good G5 team. Yeah, I, I mean, I said I don't want to talk about Notre Dame, but this is something I actually think about a lot. Um, this is something I've talked to my cousin about. He's a Wisconsin fan. And we've always wondered like what the ceiling is for Wisconsin. I mean, this kind of goes to what we've talked about a lot with Oklahoma state this year. If Oklahoma state can't do it in the big 12, like where are they actually going to go from here? And with Notre Dame, obviously that's a step up from both of them. But let me, this is a question I think about uh, all the time. Do you think that the best, I mean, take whoever the best team in college football is each year over the last over the playoff era. So let's take Alabama this year, LSU last year, and then Clemson or Alabama kind of shifting back and forth. The best team in college football over these last seven years, do you think that best team is better than the best team before that, like the last 20 years, whether that was Texas back in 05, USC, LSU, Ohio State, whoever? Do you know what I'm asking you here? Like, is the best team now better than what the best team was back then? Yeah, Um. I mean, I think it's year to year. I, I think in general these, I think in general these Alabama and Clemson teams are are pretty good. And, but you don't think it's been a dramatic shift? Whereas back 15 years ago, the best team in college football wasn't so much, so much hands down above and beyond everybody else, or even like the top two teams compared to the last seven years, where usually it's one team, sometimes two that clearly separate themselves. You don't think there's been a dramatic shift 
from like the early to mid 2000s versus the last seven years? I think in general, as time goes on, kids get bigger and faster and stronger. Um, I, I think year to year, you see some variance. Obviously, that Texas team was really, really good. Uh, and, you know, there were a couple other teams in there. I think what the, you take the best USC team from those early Pete Carroll uh, years, 03, 04, 05 in there. I think, you know, you take a couple of them and then that the Vince Young Texas team and I, 2011 LSU maybe. I mean, some of those teams were really, really good. But I, I don't know that there's any marked change mm-hmm. either way. I would definitely roll with some of these really good Clemson and Alabama teams uh, if you made me pick one, or maybe that Vince Young Texas team, just because I feel like the institutional greatness that they have built at Clemson and at Alabama, I feel like there is interest on that that compounds year to year uh, in, in ways that I think are really hard to find if you go through the history of college football. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that there's some great shift either way. Why? What, do you think there is? Well, no, I, that's what I, I, I try to figure out. I, it's not like a question I ask myself every day for the last several years, but it's something that pops into my head very often because I don't know if we have the – I mean, talk about reality. Talk about reality of a program like Notre Dame. Is it is it just because like what Clemson, Alabama, or LSU take whatever team every year – they're just so much better that Notre Dame is actually a really good team yeah. that back 10 years ago maybe could have competed for a national championship, but they happen to be good now the last you know three-ish out of the last four years. They happen to be really good also in a year in which we have last year's LSU, in which we have this year's Alabama, in which we have even a team like Ohio State who can turn it up like they did last night. So is it even Notre Dame's fault that we have these elite, elite, even if you believe there's been a market difference over the last seven years versus, you know, the 15 or 20 years prior to that, how much of that is Notre Dame's fault? And if it is, should Notre Dame be better than that? Because I don't, I'm not one of those, Notre Dame deserved to be in the playoff this year. And I don't like saying, well, they got smashed. What was it last year? And then back in 2012, shouldn't be in the playoff this year. No, it does. It has nothing to do with it. They made the playoff this year based on what they did this year. Yes. There may be some biases within the committee, but is it because Alabama and Notre, or excuse me, Alabama and Clemson and LSU, whoever, has been so damn good? Should we even put any blame on Notre Dame, or is it they're just doing what they can do, and it just sucks that these teams in a different conference are so good every year? I don't think Notre Dame should ever apologize for doing something that 126 other FBS programs didn't do this year. I don't care if they lose by 100 to Alabama in the semifinal. Let's look at this line for next week. We're going to briefly talk about this, then we'll get into uh, a little bit more on Thursday with a, a nice short episode to dissect this line right now. So we're talking here on Saturday night. Alabama is an early eight-point favorite. I think that opened at seven. You had mentioned you saw it went up to eight and a half. Right now on BetMGM, it's eight. The total right now is 75 and a half. That's come down a little bit from 76 and a half. Money line two seventy five Bama plus two ten Ohio State. Any early thoughts on this? Have you bet anything yet? Haven't bet anything yet, but I'm firmly on the Alabama side of this. Uh, if I already liked Alabama to win it all, so you know, let's let's get that out there. I'm I was already predisposed to like this bet, but this is this is a pretty principled bet for me. 
Ohio State is coming off the best they have game they've probably played in what do you think six years since the last time they won the national championship. So this probably is like better, probably better than that year. Yeah, this is like an all time sell high. You know, you, you, it is unlikely. And I, call me an Ohio State hater if you want. It's unlikely that they are going to play that well again when they meet Alabama in the championship game. Even if they play well, they're probably not a better team than Alabama. You're not going to get that many bad defensive plays, uh, bad offensive play calling. That's just not going to happen against Alabama. And to be fair, probably wouldn't have thought it would have happened against Clemson. But I feel pretty strongly it's not going to happen with Alabama. So you're going to have to beat them. And, And I just... That game was awesome against Clemson. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. So the fact that this is around the 7-8 to eight range is very reasonable for me to lay the points. I think if I told you right after the conference championship games or even a week after the conference championship games, hey, I'm from the future. Alabama's going to play Ohio State in the national title game. What do you think the point spread is? It's probably close to 14, I would think. I mean, I can't imagine it being lower than 10.5, and and you're probably in the 12.5, 13, 14, 14 14.5 range, if I had to guess. So the fact that this is down at 7 or 8 is directly because of the result we got in the Sugar Bowl. So I'm selling high. That combined with the fact that I think Alabama is already the better team and I already liked Alabama to win it all, I mean, that's it's just a no-brainer line. And this is probably, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down. It's hard to say at this point. I'm going to guess it only goes up from here because as we go get farther and farther away from the Sugar Bowl, the lust of liking what they did against Clemson is going to fade. And I think more sober analysis is going to take over. So I'm going to say if you like Alabama in this, you should probably bet it now. That falls in line with the traditional wisdom of, of betting favorites early. Uh, I like Alabama, and the total, I probably need to look into a little bit more so we could probably touch more on that later in the week, but in general, when you have totals this high, there is a reason they are this high, and you should definitely think about the over. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting one to watch, because like I said, it was at 76.5, dropped to 75, we'll see, 75.5, excuse me, we'll see if that keeps coming down, and then Bama, like we said, it was started at 7. Uh, you mentioned you saw it at eight and a half. Now it's sitting at eight. We'll see if that uh, comes back down a little bit or if it just keeps going up. So come back on Thursday. We'll be breaking down that Bama Ohio State line some more. Which side you want to be on? When you do want to bet it, and when if you are going to bet it. And then the following Thursday. So national championship is on Monday the eleventh, and the following Thursday the fourteenth, we're going to start some end of the year college football stuff that we've been looking forward to to kind of put a bow on the season what came out of this season, some stuff to look at for the offseason, some big picture stuff. So there's a lot to talk about with this weird, weird year wrapping up. So Thursday for National Championship Betting on the High Motor Podcast, and we'll be back a week from that Thursday on the 14th. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for listening to the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names, but it didn't matter because Deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one Before you met And how you feel more than you see 
And other worlds that lie in spaces